Hello and welcome to Follies End podcast. I'm Jessie Markey and today we're going to be talking about marriage and who we are as wives. These podcasts are going to be completely aimed at women because I have authority to speak to wives because I am a woman, just in case you didn't know, and I'm also a wife. I have been married for 15 years, but it is not the length of time that gives me any sort of authority in this area, but rather spending time in the Bible asking God for his answer on a married life. I've been a Christian since I was five years old and I'm a pastor's kid. I've been in church my entire life and I've never really given what God says about marriage much of a thought. If it was preached in my church, I missed it. And even when I was preparing for marriage myself, I didn't sit down to work out what God had said about marriage. It's slightly shocking that after 15 years of being married, I've only just started to look into it. But thankfully, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you, God. Before I start, you might be wondering why I've kicked off this topic, talking about our identity as wives, rather than something to bring change. For instance, I could have done something like 10 steps to getting your husband to listen or five steps for a successful marriage. Well, if I could give you a step-by-step guide to changing your man, I'd be a millionaire. And although lots of organisations might claim to be able to make that happen for you, it's likely that if there is change, it won't last very long. Or if it does, it'll all be based on you providing the answer yourself, which, let's face it, is exhausting. Whenever I experience lasting change in my life, it's because I've understood God's perspective on an issue and it's his word that has brought change. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's John 8, 32. But it's only the truth that you know that sets you free. All of us probably have a Bible kicking about somewhere in the house. And within that Bible is life-changing truth. But the Bible just on its own, the Bible just being in my handbag or by my bedside table, doesn't bring change. Reading the Bible, planting the words of God in my heart, that's what brings change. So often when we think about our marriage, we think quite naturally of all the things the other person does that we find hard. And if we've been married a long time, we probably have quite a long list of things the other person does that we find difficult. Jesus said in Matthew 7 verse 7, Judge not that you will not be judged. For with that judgment you judge, you will also be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but you do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First move the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is probably not the most comforting verse to use, especially with marriage. But this verse is so important in marriage. We can all see how much our husbands mess up. We can tell you exactly when and where it happened. We might have even made a bit of a sport out of it. But if we can humble ourselves we will realise that we mess up too, and we mess up a lot. We all need grace and compassion when we mess up, and so do our husbands. 
Before we get into today's podcast, I want to encourage you to lay down all the hurt, all the frustration, all the confusion. Albert Einstein said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. So let's start a new work in our lives today by allowing God's truth to change us. So I want to start this topic of marriage by looking at marriage itself and where did it start? One of the things that have really struck me is that marriage is totally and completely God's idea. Let's get that established in our mind first. Marriage was and is completely God's idea. Before government or even a church was formed, God decided that we needed to be joined together, a man and a woman. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible. And in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Before we start looking at what a helpmeet is, let's just pause for a moment and think about what God was saying here. Adam had been formed in the Garden of Eden and had everything he needed. He was in paradise. There was no hardship. There was no difficulty. All he had to do was just be there. He had all his needs catered for. In chapter 2, verse 9, after Adam was formed, we hear that food was growing and the water was flowing. He had all his needs met. And more than just the physical needs, Adam also saw and heard God. I mean, how cool is that? So it wasn't even that he was lonely. And Adam didn't go up to God and go, hey, like your Garden of Eden is pretty cool and everything, but I could really do with someone else here. It was God that started this. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. The next bit of this verse is really cool because then God brings to Adam every animal on the earth for him to name. Genesis 2, 19 to 20. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air. And they brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name of. And Adam gave names to all the cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. I don't believe for a moment that God thought Adam might find a companion among the animals. I believe that God did this for Adam's benefit. Adam needed to establish that there wasn't a buddy for him in any of the animals. And I love that about God. It really is part of his nature. He doesn't just tell us the answer, but he allows us to come to our own decision. It's a bit like how sometimes I might deal with my children. When they won't put their coat on, I tell them to go outside and be cold, and then they want their coat on. And I think God sort of did this with Adam. He shows Adam all that the earth has to offer him, and Adam knew there wasn't a mate for him in the earth. We know the next bit of the story. God makes Adam fall asleep, and he forms Eve from Adam's bone. I love what Adam says when he wakes up, and he sees Eve in Genesis 2 verse 23. And Adam says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When Adam saw Eve, he saw her as part of himself, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. 
She was a part of him. So often we can see our husbands as a separate person or a completely different being, completely away from us. But this is not God's plan. God could have made Eve out of the ground like he made Adam, but he didn't. He took a part of Adam and he made Eve. If you've ever been blessed enough to have a child, when you hold that little baby, you can see yourself in that child. You feel completely and utterly connected to them. They are a part of you. And that's what Adam saw when he looked at Eve. So often, the enemy tries to put distance between us and our husbands. But if we really saw our husband like God intended to, we'd be an unstoppable force for God's glory. I encourage you to really think about this and allow God to reveal that to you. Don't just take my word for it. Ask God to show you. Let's look at this word now, help meet. The words help meet is a phrase in the Hebrew and it comes from the word Isaiah. It's used 21 times in the Bible. And interestingly, only twice it's translated to help meet. All the other times in the Bible, it literally means help. In fact, it's the same word used in Psalm 121 verse 1. I will lift up mine eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. Help meet isn't a weak help. It's a strength in help. Ladies, we've got strength to help our husbands. A quick Google search brought this up. Scholar R. David Freeman observes that the phrase Ezra is a combination of two words, one meaning to rescue, to save, and the other meaning to be strong. So often we feel totally helpless and stuck, but that is not who we were created to be. We are strong and we are helpful. When I look back at all the trouble the enemy has given me in my marriage, it always starts by attacking my own ability to change things and to move things forward. You can't change another person, but you can be a force of help and strength in your marriage. Nobody can help my husband like I can help him. Nobody can speak to my husband like I can speak to him. So often we might pray, oh God, send someone to talk to him. But God gave him you. You have more power in your marriage than the enemy would like you to know. You are his help and you are his strength. There's an old saying, behind every strong man is a strong woman. For we're not behind him. We were made from his rib. The rib cage is the bones that protects our heart. Just think about that for a moment. So much of what the enemy does is to steal our identity. For me personally, I didn't know my identity as a wife. I am my husband's helper and I am his strong helper. I have power in my marriage. I am formed from him and we are one. Not him versus me. That's a powerful truth that can change things just of itself. The other thing I want to bring your attention to with this word help meet is really one of the proper purposes of marriage. God didn't say, I will make someone to make him happy or I will make someone that he can love. 
Love and happiness have their place in marriage. Of course they do. But the purpose of marriage is not to make each other happy. God didn't say he'll make someone to complete him either. That's not right. We've received such a lie about marriage. The world tells us that we have to have someone to complete us or to make us happy. But we're called to help each other. So much of why we're unhappy is because we're looking to someone else to make us happy. We're abusing marriage. Abuse is abnormal use. Marriage wasn't designed to make us happy. That's not the purpose of marriage. When we die and we go to be with the Lord, we will stand before God alone. I won't be standing there next to my husband, even if we died at the same time. I will give an account for myself. That was a massive shift change in me because I realised that I will have to account for myself. I cannot blame him for the things I have or I haven't done. And you know, that blame mentality really goes back all the way back to the Garden of Eden. When Adam messed up and they all ate of the apple, he said to God, it's that woman that you gave me. He first blamed the woman and then he blamed God. Man, we do this so often. We blame our spouse for not doing the things that we know we should be doing or even want to do. And when sin entered into the world, it was man's very first response. It's the woman you gave me, God. We need to be wise to this lie in our marriage. If you believe that everything is your partner's fault, you will rob yourself of a wonderful marriage. I want to share with you the next thing that has completely blown my mind. After Adam and Eve disobeyed God and listened to Satan, God says this to the woman, Genesis 3 verse 16. And unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow, you shall bring forth children and your desire shall be to your husband and he will rule over you. There is a lot in that scripture. But I want you to see here what God says, that your desire shall be to your husband and he shall rule over you. Man, I tell you, I know what that feels like to have a desire from my husband, to want to be intimate and to be close with him. But instead of intimacy, it brings distance between us. That word desire is a Hebrew word that I'm not even going to try and pronounce, but it means to have a longing for, stretching out to. I know of so many women who are stuck under this curse. In fact, I was speaking to a non-Christian just the other day and she was sharing with me her pain that she wants to please her husband, but he's distant and he rules over her, telling her all her mistakes. Now, listen, I'm sure if I spoke to the husband, he wouldn't see things that way. But I'm telling you this to say that there is power in that curse. Ask God, are you living under that? One of the very first things I struggled with this curse is why would God curse us for making a mistake? And why would he make our childbirth full of sorrow? I've had two children, one naturally and the other one on a C-section. And I can honestly say that although they are complete blessings to me, bringing them into the world was definitely an event full of sorrow. Why would a loving God do that? 
Well, I think one of the reasons was for our benefit. Between Adam and Noah, Noah who had the ark, there are 10 generations, which is not many. In my family right now, we've got three generations and in most you might have four. So 10 generations is not a very long time. And within those 10 generations, to quote a phrase of my mum's, sin had run amok. It was so bad that God wished he had never made man. Genesis 6 verse 5 says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only for evil continuously. And it repented the Lord that he'd ever made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. Wow. I mean, it was so bad that God wished he'd never made man. I don't think we even know evil like this. Even if you think of all the horrendous things that go on the world today, it's still not as bad as it was back then. And in verse 11, it says that the earth was also corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth and behold, all was corrupt for all flesh had corrupted himself upon the earth. I mean, every flesh was corrupted. In Exodus, we hear that people were doing the most horrendous things to their babies in fire. And it was worse than that. I don't think we can even imagine the state the world was in, nor do I want to. Can you imagine how many generations we'd be having if we were having babies easily like animals do? I think the world would have been a huge wreck much quicker. And maybe there wouldn't have even been a Noah, a good man left for God to use. Maybe there wouldn't have even been a virgin for Jesus to be born through. I think that curse of having children in sorrow was designed to stop us from having kids without restraint. And here's something that really hit me. It's the curse of having children in sorrow and having a desire for my husband, but him ruling over me was given by God, not man and not Satan. Then God could lift that curse, right? And here's the really, really cool thing. God has already lifted that curse off us. We don't have to live under that anymore because Jesus died for us. If you don't believe me, I've got scriptures to back it up. Galatians 3 verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So how do you break that curse over your life? Well, thankfully, I didn't have to hang on a tree. Jesus did, and he broke that curse. Now, to quote the scripture, we receive the promise through faith. All you have to do is have faith that that curse over us as women is over. We don't have to live like this anymore. That's almost too good to be true news. So why is all of that important? It's important because how you see yourself in your marriage has a huge impact. The Bible says that as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23 verse 7. If you see yourself as being powerless and under his rule, then that's exactly what you will be. 
Jesus tells us in Matthew 15 verse 18 that it's what is in our heart that comes out of our mouth. How do you know how you're feeling about your marriage? Just listen to what you're speaking about it. Occasionally, I've heard myself say something that has surprised even me. I didn't know that I felt that way. But Jesus said our mouth speaks what is in our hearts. And often we need our hearts to change towards our marriage. Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. It's what's in our hearts that impacts our lives, and it's on a very, very real level. I'd like to give you a challenge now. In Proverbs 18 verse 21, it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. There is power in your tongue. I'd like to challenge you to start today by speaking life over your marriage. You can use your words to bless or to curse your marriage. Are you complaining all the time about how bad things are or are you speaking life? You might need to write a thankful list. Make a list of everything nice or good your husband has done or said. I guarantee you it will change your view. Even if it's a small thing like making you a cup of tea or putting a wash load on. Yes, yeah, I know. You could say he should be doing that already. But how nice do you feel when you're thanked for doing something that you should or always do? My daughter thanked me yesterday with such earnest for baking her a cake. I've baked her cakes before. She was so grateful. It just blessed me. I'll definitely be doing that again. Finally, I want to bring your attention to the verse that I've just read, which is Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it will eat the fruit thereof. You will eat the fruit of your words. And the verse below that in verse 22 says, Whoever finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favour of the Lord. I think it's really interesting that the Bible tells us that there's power in our words and then talks about wives being a blessing. If you do one thing different today, let it be that you start to see yourself as a powerful, strong and helpful wife, that you were made from his side and you are not beneath him. And finally, that you have power in your words. God said in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and cursings. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. Choose to speak life and blessing over your husband and your marriage today. Speak out things that bring life to you both. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Until we speak again, be kind to yourself and each other.